Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Extra Points Feature Podcast. Today, in this episode, we're going to be covering Super Bowl 56, the reactions of the biggest storylines, the game itself, and where the NFL and these players stand moving forward. So to start out with, obviously, we can go to the winning side, and let's take a look at the Super Bowl MVP, Cooper Cup. Now, I don't want to sound hyperbolic when I say this, but I believe Cooper Cup just completed the greatest season that any receiver has ever played. From start to finish, week one to the end of the Super Bowl, Cooper Cup completed a triple crown of achievements that nobody has ever done in one season, and the only person to ever do them in their entire career is the greatest receiver in the history of the NFL, Jerry Rice. Cooper Cup led the NFL in the regular season in receptions, in touchdowns, and in yards. A feat in and of itself that's only been done, if I'm not mistaken, six or seven times, uh, none of which in the last 25 years. Now, if that wasn't enough, he also went on to set a single-season regular and post-season record for the most receptions ever, the most yards ever, and the second most touchdowns ever at 22, trailing only Randy Moss with 24 back in that legendary 07 season. So, not only did he lead the NFL in literally every receiving category, but he also won Offensive Player of the Year. Now, Offensive Player of the Year is an award that has often gone to quarterbacks and has often gone to running backs that have the best season or the running back who might have won MVP had quarterbacks not existed. So, guys like Todd Gurley, Adrian Peterson, Le'Veon Bell, running backs like that, Jonathan Taylor this year, are normally the Offensive Player of the Year. However, if you have a receiving season that defies all odds, you can make it. Uh, I believe there's only three in the last 11 years. That'd be Michael Thomas, Cooper Cup, and Calvin Johnson Jr. himself. So, he led the league in every receiving category, the Triple Crown. He also broke every full season record besides touchdowns for a receiver. He won Offensive Player of the Year. And then he capped it off with a Super Bowl victory and the Super Bowl MVP. Now, I have my own opinions on the Super Bowl MVP award and where it should have gone, but let me start with this. Cooper Cup, with his 94 yards, I believe, and two touchdowns, along with four for four receptions, and I believe 36 yards out of 70-something on that last drive to cap off the go-ahead touchdown in the Super Bowl. Cooper Cup had a relatively quiet, mild first half and came alive in the second half when his team needed him the most. Los Angeles Rams without Odell Beckham Jr., without Tyler Higbee, and without any semblance of a running game, had to rely on one guy, Cooper Cup. And so he capped off this season with not only the Triple Crown, not only the Offensive Player of the Year, and not only every full-season record besides touchdowns, but he also wins the Super Bowl MVP, an award that, if I'm not mistaken, only three receivers in NFL history have ever won that award. 
the greatest receiver all time, Jerry Rice, Julian Edelman, a man who lived for the postseason in New England, and now Cooper Cup. Moving on from Cooper Cup, I believe the biggest story of the day belongs to Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, who, ahead of the game, mentioned that he may retire if he wins the Super Bowl. Now, this is an interesting story, considering that he was only drafted in 2014. That's eight years ago. He's played eight seasons in the NFL, and in those eight years, he's been to eight Pro Bowls, or elected to them at least, and he's been voted all-first-team All-Pro seven out of those eight years. He's got 98 career sacks. Three times has he been voted the Defensive Player of the Year, which is the most in NFL history, tied with a couple guys you may have heard of, Lawrence Taylor and J.J. Watt. Aaron Donald has everything on his resume, and as you saw in the NFC Championship game after he got the pressure to force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the interception. He pointed to his ring finger, and he said, I want my ring. Now, if you ask me, Aaron Donald has the potential to become the greatest defensive player in the history of the NFL. And if you ask a lot of people, Lawrence Taylor, who is almost unanimously put in that spot, Lawrence Taylor is the best NFL player that a lot of people believe they've seen. So for Aaron Donald to be at this point, let's say halfway through his career, if he played 15 or 16 years, and he was only at 90% of his first eight years for the next seven or eight, is it crazy to believe that he could finish with 170 career sacks four Defensive Player of the Year awards, which would be an NFL record, a Super Bowl, maybe more, a Super Bowl MVP. Beyond that, he could have, he could have anywhere from, anywhere from eight where he stands right now, all the way up to 15 or 16 Pro Bowls. I mean, it's not like, it's not like there's a lot of dominant defensive tackles in the league. This dude is doing unprecedented things from the interior defensive line, and. Of course, not to mention the All-Pros. He's got seven out of eight right now. There's no reason why he couldn't get another six or seven out of the next eight. So if, if Aaron Donald does decide to hang it up, this could be one of the craziest what-ifs we've ever seen in sports. We've seen guys like Luke Keekley who suffered with concussions, and Andrew Luck, who suffered with multiple injuries, getting beat behind those bad early Colts offensive lines. We saw guys like Jim Brown who had accomplished everything he needed to accomplish in a 10-year career and someone who people still regard as maybe the greatest running back of all time. He decided to step away and you know move on to other ventures of his, his career like making movies and entertainment and things like that. We've seen guys like Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson who just kind of got beat down by all the losing Calvin. His hands were a little beat up, and it just wasn't worth it to them. A lot of people we've seen marred by injury. Gail Sayers left the game forcibly. Injuries derailed his career. And, of course, you know, the maybe the biggest what-if in NFL history, Bo Jackson, who I believe only played one and a half or two healthy seasons in the NFL. Aaron Donald has the opportunity to play eight seasons. Eight 
in the NFL and be maybe 50-50 regarded as the greatest defensive player in the history of this sport. So there's almost no doubt in my mind that if he doubles up his career again, or slightly less, if he goes on to play another six, seven years, maybe even eight years going for a full 16, which is a lot, there's almost no doubt that he would go down as the greatest defensive player in the history of the league. And if you take out position, because obviously nobody's ever going to pass Brady on, on his seven rings and ten appearances and all that, but he could go down as the greatest pos greatest player, regardless of position, in the history of the NFL. Now we get to Matthew Stafford, one of the most interesting conversation topics this year, one of the most interesting conversation topics we've seen in the NFL in a long, long time. John Matthew Stafford, who spent the first 12 years of his career playing for the Detroit Lions, an organization who had two players on that list that we talked about, Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, that just retired straight up in the middle of their prime for seemingly no reason other than they played for the Lions. Gets traded to the Los Angeles Rams for two firsts, a third, and Jared Goff. Now, if you ask me, that third-round pick probably probably is so that the Lions would take on Jared Goff's contract, but those are semantics. That's neither here nor there. Matthew Stafford was marred and disrespected, and it, it was to the point where you might not know this, but this man has been selected to one Pro Bowl in his career. He has, he has multiple 4,000-yard seasons. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, the second most consecutive 4,000 seasons in NFL history, only behind Matt Ryan. He has multiple 30, multiple 35, and a couple 40 touchdown seasons in the NFL. Just this year, he had 38, 48, excuse me, 100 yards, 43 touchdowns on an impressive, an impressive passer rating, over 100 points, uh, completion percentage over 66%, a yards per, uh, per attempt that I believe was third in the NFL, only behind Joe Burrow and Kyler Murray. And somehow he didn't make the Pro Bowl this year. This man has been to less Pro Bowls than Jared Goff, less Pro Bowls than Kirk Cousins. Somehow, in his career, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson's been in the NFL for nine seasons, and somehow he's been to eight Pro Bowls, but Matthew Stafford hasn't even made it to two. Matthew Stafford once threw for 5,000 yards and 40-plus touchdowns in one single season and didn't make it in that year. I say all that to say this. I was right. I, for the longest time, at least the last six years, have been saying that Matthew Stafford is an elite, top-level NFL quarterback, one that can take you to the championship, not just get taken to a championship. Matthew Stafford, yesterday, if you count everything in the season combined, was minus Robert Woods, their wide receiver too. Odell Beckham gets hurt at halftime, who was their fill-in wide receiver too. Tyler Higby, the starting tight end, was out. Oh, let's not forget 
that the Rams' running game, other than Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford, who both had one rush for seven yards, averaged 1.2 yards per rush. Literally the worst team rushing performance in the history of the Super Bowl. This man goes for 280-plus yards, three touchdowns, two picks, one of which clearly wasn't his fault, and of those three touchdowns, one of them came on a 15-play, 75-yard drive to take the lead with a minute 30 seconds left in the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford is the only quarterback in the history of the NFL to throw three touchdowns in a Super Bowl and not win Super Bowl MVP from the winning side, of course. Matthew Stafford is the only player in the history of the National Football League to have three consecutive game-winning drives in the playoffs, resulting in a Super Bowl win. Matthew Stafford is the Super Bowl MVP, no disrespect to Cooper Cup and no disrespect to Aaron Donald. If there was a way that those three could sh share the award, split it up, cut it into thirds, that would make me happy. But Matthew Stafford, to me, just, just barely deserves the biggest piece of the pie. He's a man who spent 12 years losing games in Detroit. Since 2016, he has set the single-season record for the most game-winning drives in a single season at eight, a year that they had nine total wins and that they made the playoffs in the first year without Calvin Johnson. And since his draft in 2009, he has the most game-winning drives in the entire National Football League. I believe he's already top five all-time at the age of 34 years old. Matthew Stafford, after getting traded for two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and a former number one overall pick in Jared Goff from 2016, has completely vindicated the trade, justified all the means. He's a franchise savior for the Los Angeles Rams, who wouldn't probably wouldn't have even beaten Tampa Bay without him. Probably wouldn't win the division without him. So they wouldn't necessarily even be in the situation to have a home playoff game in the wild card weekend. Moving on to another man who has been mired and disrespected and dragged through the ruins, Odell Beckham Jr. You notice I'm sticking with a lot of Rams here on uh, this this podcast, well, the Rams are more interesting. Bengals fans, I'm sorry. There's only one thing interesting about your team, and unfortunately, he lost and he didn't play well. Odell Beckham Jr., a man who, throughout his time in New York, was on pace to become the most statistically dominant receiver that the game had ever seen. Justin Jefferson recently just broke his first two-year receiving record, which was an impressive one. It was it was about 2,500 yards in the first two seasons. It's traded to Cleveland because he wanted to leave and go to a winning place. And where did the Giants send him? Cleveland, Ohio. 
Thanks, Dave Gettleman. But beyond that, he spent uh, three years amidst, well, two and a half, uh, amidst some just ugly controversy. They were People were saying that the Browns were better without him, that Baker, that Baker was uh, forcing balls to Odell because Odell was a drama queen. I mean, we remember the, the kicking net and proposing to the net and, and pretending to act like a dog peeing in the end zone, all that stuff in New York. Everyone was saying it followed him to Cleveland. People love talking about the watch that he wears or the cleat that he wears. Or the fact that he hangs out with models in the offseason because no NFL player has ever done that. People were saying that Odo Beckham Jr. is washed and that he's no longer a, you know, no longer a, a first option wide receiver. Well, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Odo Beckham Jr. completely vindicated himself in this move. Not only did he never say a bad word about Cleveland. But he only spoke good of the time that he had there. His dad was the one who didn't make a video. He just shared a video that was already in existence of how open Odell always was and also never got clean targets. Odell goes to the Rams as the number two option at best behind Cooper Cup, but... I mean, there's also other guys that have more rapport in the system, like a Tyler Higbee, like a Van Jefferson, you know, Sony Michelle, Daryl Henderson, all these guys. Odell steps in, and in the regular season, he averages 40 yards and about .8 touchdowns a game. He played eight regular season games. I believe he had six touchdowns for the Rams. And then in the playoffs, he steps it up a notch. He averaged 73 yards in the playoffs and had two touchdowns in their four games, both of which were in the championship rounds, the NFC Championship and the NFL Championship, the Super Bowl. Odell Beckham was on pace to win Super Bowl MVP. He only had two catches, but he made the most of, the, uh, most of those catches going for over... 50 yards. I believe he made 52 yards and a touchdown in just those two catches because he was so wide open. Cooper Cup was getting double teamed and he wasn't getting he wasn't getting clean targets. Odell was the hero of that first half. If he doesn't go down, this game isn't close. Odell unfortunately got injured a couple minutes before the halftime. Hopefully he's okay. Reports are saying it's it's an ACL tear, which I believe was on the leg, the left leg, that he already tore his ACL. Hopefully, no matter what it is, he makes a speedy recovery. I would personally like to see him come back to the Rams. I'm a big Matthew Stafford fan, and I believe that Robert Woods, Odell Beckham, and Cooper Cup would be potentially the best receiving core in the NFL and if they stick together, they'd have potential to be the best receiving trio that we've ever seen. Moving on to the coolest guy in the room, according to a lot of you, Joe Burrow, Joe Shiesty, Joe Franchise, or my personal favorite nickname for him, the Tiger King. The king of the LSU Tigers and the king of the Bengal Tigers. Joe Burrow, who... 
in the first half didn't get touched. A lot of you guys want to say the you know the Rams defensive line was on him all night. It's not true. The Rams defensive line was on him all in the second half. Joe Burrow had clean pockets and clean receivers. He overthrew players. He skipped balls into the dirt. He threw passes into traffic that were easily deflected. He made bad reads in the first half, which all resulted in a 13-10 deficit. Now, if you would have told me if I were a Bengals fan and you gave me the choice to go into the halftime down 13-10, to 10, I would have signed up for that. But if you would have told me that Joe Burrow got sacked zero times and pressured nearly zero times in the first half and we were going to score 10 points, I'd be really upset. In the first half, Joe Burrow had about 150 yards, which is a lot. No touchdowns on an average completion percentage. In fact, the Bengals' only touchdowns in the game came on a throw from Joe Mixon and a questionable non-call where T. Higgins ripped Jalen Ramsey's face off and then caught the ball and then ran for the touchdown. Joe Burrow played played poorly in this game. There's going to be a lot of people telling you that, oh, he might have been the better quarterback last night. Trust me. I'll take 283 yards and three touchdowns over 263 yards and one touchdown every day of the week and twice on Super Bowl Sunday. Now, what's next for Joe Burrow? A lot of people had beef with the fact that they drafted Jamar Chase in this last year's draft. Now, my opinion on that was... You can get a left tackle any draft. You can get a left tackle every year in free agency. What you can't do is get your quarterback's favorite college target, who's probably going to be the best receiver in the NFL someday. You can't get him again. So I was in favor of the move. Now, the Bengals couldn't patch up their offensive line in the rest of the draft or the rest of free agency. And so it cost them. Joe Burrow got sacked a league-high 51 times this year, and he had two games in the playoffs where he got sacked nine times in the AFC Divisional Round and seven times in the Super Bowl. He got sacked a total of three times in the other two games, but you really don't want your quarterback getting taken down 20 times in one playoff run. Joe Burrow, if the Bengals decide to go all-in on their offensive line, has pretty much everything else around him that he needs to win a Super Bowl. Joe Burrow's got arguably the best receiver group, wide receivers at least, in the NFL. He's got arguably a top-five running back in the NFL in Joe Mixon. Defensively, they've got a very good front seven. They've got a good pass rush, and evidently, they have an elite run defense, at least if they want to. The secondary for the Bengals is just a little bit more suspect. A lot of people like to roast Eli Apple, but he is a starting cornerback. He is one of the best players at his position in the world. Eli Apple might not be the best cornerback in the National Football League, but when you have to go up against the best best receiver 
night in and night out, it's not always going to be easy if you're just an average guy. Eli Apple, oh, he got burnt by Tyreek Hill. Wait a second, who doesn't? Oh, he got burnt by Odell and Cooper Cup when he was covering them. Yeah, who doesn't? He got burnt by A.J. Brown. Oh, yeah, A.J. Brown, top 10 receiver. I just listed off four top 10 receivers that he had to cover in only three games. Notice that if you went all the way back to the Raiders game where he just had to face an average receiver, Hunter Renfro, Hunter had the third best game on the Raiders that day. Joe Burrow has everything he needs around him to win a championship, besides that offensive line. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think they'll get back this year, and I think they'd be lucky to get back again in Joe Burrow's tenure. Making a Super Bowl is a hard thing to do. If they go all in, just draft four offensive linemen, sign three guys, and then pay as much money to whoever you can as any star in free agency... Maybe Gronkowski can get poached out of Tampa Bay. He said he'd like to play with Joe Burrow. That just strengthens the receiver core all that much more. They might be able to make it back. But if you ask me, Joe Burrow's not even the best quarterback in his own division. I like Lamar in that spot. Remember, before Lamar got hurt, the, the Ravens were the number one seed in the AFC. And after he got hurt... The Ravens dropped all the way out of the playoffs. So it's going to be an uphill climb for Joe Burrow in this game. That is the NFL. Moving forward to one of my personal all-time favorite players, because he won a Super Bowl for my all-time favorite quarterback, Von Miller. Von Miller came about one more big play away from winning Super Bowl MVP himself. See, it would have been really hard to justify giving Aaron Donald Super Bowl MVP without saying that Von Miller also gets Super Bowl MVP. Because Von, playing the linebacker position, a little bit more versatile, and it's unfortunate for Donald, but it's just the realisticness of the position. They both had two sacks. Von had more passes defended and more tackles, but obviously Aaron Donald's the star. He takes up more double teams than Vaughn does at this point in Vaughn's career, but like I said, if Vaughn would have had a nice pass deflection that got picked or a forced fumble like he had in Super Bowl 50, this we could have been looking at a guy that's going for two Super Bowl MVPs on two different teams. That's hard to do when you're not a quarterback. Vaughn Miller, who didn't even know he was getting traded from the Denver Broncos, came to the Rams and immediately fit in. He's seen as one of the biggest reasons why Odell Beckham chose the Rams. They were planning on meeting up and teaming up together one day, but who knows where that would have been. Odell said, don't come to Cleveland. Well, Von Miller gets traded, and coincidentally, Odell got cut both within a week of each other. So Odell clears waivers, signs with the Rams. Now they're both Super Bowl champions, and good for them. Von Miller may be the most Canton-worthy player in this game. Now, I love Aaron Donald. I don't think he should have won his 2020 Defensive Player of the Year. I wholeheartedly believe that one should have gone to T.J. Watt. But 
it's not going to be impossible to say that Von Miller, who has more sacks, more Super Bowls, a Super Bowl MVP, could realistically be a more Hall of Fame worthy player than Aaron Donald. Now, that's a conversation for another day. I'm not going to say he is, but Von Miller pretty much just iced his way into Canton, along with a lot of other players giving themselves a really nice step up. I'd like to talk about somebody who I've considered to be one of the most valuable people in the National Football League, Rams head coach Sean McVay. Rams head coach Sean McVay is 36 years old, the youngest head coach in the National Football League today, and the youngest head coach to ever win a Super Bowl. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, Sean McVay got hired five years ago. He got hired at the age of 31 to be a head coach in the National Football League. Looking back on the situation himself, he said, what were they thinking? Obviously, tongue-in-cheek, he believes in himself as a coach. Sean McVay was on the verge of two coaching collapses, absolute choke jobs in Super Bowl 52 and Super Bowl 56. If you remember a few years ago in the Super Bowl that he made with Jared Goff and Todd Gurley and Aaron Donald, the high-flying Rams 33 points per game offense managed to muster up one field goal. Say what you want about Jared Goff not being a good enough quarterback. Jared Goff was a good enough quarterback to help your team average 33 points per game. Todd Gurley, the offensive player of the year, was good enough to get you 33 points per game. Sean McVay managed to luck himself into the Super Bowl, because we all remember that Nickel Roby Coleman no pass interference call on uh, Marquez Callaway against the Saints. And he couldn't he couldn't manage to score two touchdowns because 14 points would have won that game. And this man, Sean McVay, a guy who I have a tremendous amount of respect for for what he's done in the NFL and the coaching tree that he's built up, he ran the ball 23 times for 31 yards against the Bengals' defense. Now, if you tell me that my team is going to average 1.3 yards per carry, the last thing that I'm going to do is run that ball more than 14 times. Now, I understand you got to take the pressure off Matt Stafford, but this is why you brought Stafford here, to win you the games that you couldn't win by scheming players open that you know weren't that good. Matthew Stafford, minus Tyler Higbee, minus Odell Beckham, minus Robert Woods, and minus a running game. Got sacked, I believe, three or four times. Went down and got you that win. Now, Sean, you drew up some good plays. But let me tell you, you're getting close to being seen as a regular season, regular season coach that chokes in the playoffs. Now, Andy Reid had to suffer from that stigma for years. He got his Super Bowl, and now he's seen as one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. Good for you, Sean McVay. You got this one out of the way early. But I would be careful about continuing 
the game plan of your coaching style the same way. A lot of people criticized you for getting too conservative with lead, and that bit you against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Stafford bailed you out. You can't beat the 49ers. Stafford bailed you out. You surrendered a lead in the Super Bowl. Obviously, the touchdown pass to T. Higgins was a little questionable, but surrendered that lead in the Super Bowl while continuing to waste downs on negative yardage. I've got a lot of respect for Sean McVay at 36 years old. He's still the youngest head coach in the NFL and the youngest head coach to ever win a Super Bowl. He has the opportunity, if he plays, up in, or coaches rather, up until the age that most coaches retire, around 68, 69 years old. It's when a lot of guys finally call it quits, like the best of them at least. He has the opportunity to be the all-time winningest head coach in the history of the National Football League. It's going to be easy because everybody above him on the winning percentage list isn't close to that all-time win list. Bill Belichick has a lower winning percentage than Sean McVay. Andy Reid has a lower winning percentage than Sean McVay. Don Shula, Vince Lombardi, all these guys. So if Sean McVay turns 69 years old, just as old as Bruce Arians is today, he should have, by a few seasons, the most wins in NFL history as a head coach. Hopefully, for him, this isn't his last Super Bowl. But I doubt it will be, because I think he'll take a lesson from some of his scheming tendencies up until this point. Now, one guy who doesn't get enough credit for this season. They have this award in the NBA called Executive of the Year. Now, I don't know if they have it in the NFL uh, in any shape or form. I know it's not one of the NFL honors. But if they did, Les Snead had the biggest, baddest energy coming from this season. This man mortgaged his future again for a quarterback who had zero playoff wins, a quarterback that had one Pro Bowl appearance, a quarterback that had a losing record in his career. A quarterback who had the most yards in NFL history for a player to not be in a Super Bowl, let alone win a playoff game. However, Les Snead knew what he was getting his hands on when he traded for Matthew Stafford. Les Snead traded two first-round picks, a third-round pick, he had to bite some of Jared Goff's contract, and he had to get rid of Jared Goff on that process. Les Snead then, after having lost Cam Akers in the, in the preseason, decides to trade for Sonny Michelle from the New England Patriots, a man who also had gone down with an ACL injury. Sonny Michelle ends up being a one-two punch, not even, not even a, a good backup but a good one-two with Daryl Henderson filling in in the absence of Cam Akers. Then, later on, 
He trades a linebacker to Denver, somebody who we all thought was just kind of like a depth guy. Weren't really sure what that was about. And then, just a month later, he ends up trading some more picks back to Denver, some of the ones that he got from Denver, for Denver's best edge rusher in their franchise history, Von Miller. Just a week later, Odell Beckham decides to come to the team. Unfortunately, Robert Woods also goes down, basically the next day, if I'm not mistaken. And in this moment, when they, when they grabbed Vaughn and when they grabbed Odell Beckham, the Rams posted a picture saying, we're all in. It's a, it a poker metaphor that pushed all their chips in the middle of the table. Good thing about this is, a lot of times, you can make it out. You might, in, you might intimidate your opponent. You might have a good hand and you're all in for a reason. But on the flip side, if for some reason your opponent can get the best of you, you're left with nothing. Now Les Snead, in his supreme confidence in his head coach, in his new quarterback, and in the defensive stars that he'd pulled together, believed that there was nothing stopping this Rams team from winning the Super Bowl. And so he went all in. If I'm not mistaken, in this year's upcoming draft, the 2022 NFL Draft, the Rams have three picks, the first of which is in the third round. Not great. However, they've got the Super Bowl. They've got that victory. And that ring, it's going to shine forever. It doesn't really matter how many draft picks you have this year. They're champions, and many of them are going to Canton. That's all the time I have for today. Thank you for listening. Be sure to look out for future content from The Extra Point.